Thank you for tuning in to the Felon File Podcast, where we look at crime and issues not only in the Appalachian Mountains, but beyond and throughout the world. If you're listening today, you're very much aware of what's going on in other parts of the world. Out of the 33 countries that listen to the Felon File Podcast, the country of Ukraine is listed as number eight. I like to consider all the people who listen to my podcast to be friends. Right now we have some friends that are facing some very difficult times. The people of Ukraine are dealing with a very serious and deadly situation right now. And the children of Ukraine, who are the least responsible and the least accountable for any type of armed conflict, especially in the country of Ukraine right now, but they are the ones that suffer the most from the consequences of the grown-ups. There are several organizations out there that are working to help the children of Ukraine. I would ask that you do your research, find out which one of these organizations you feel the most comfortable with, and try to help them help others. I usually end my podcast with, if you have the chance, do something nice for somebody. Well, this is an opportunity that we have right now that is in front of us that we really need to stand up and help with. I'm not asking anybody to send a case of ammunition to the Ukraine. I'm not asking anybody to thumb their nose at Putin or anything like that. What I'm asking is help the children of Ukraine. There are two organizations that I personally trust for helping the children in various places of the world. One of those is Children's First. The second is UNICEF. UNICEFUSA.org uses only about 3% from what I understand from the research that, my, that I have done and other people have done. Only about 3% of their income goes to administrative cost and the rest of what you donate goes to help the kids. Right now, the children of Ukraine are in a very perilous situation. If you have the opportunity and you have the ability, help in some way. Perhaps someday in the future, we'll do a special felon file podcast on war crimes. And perhaps we'll be discussing Mr. Putin and his appearance in The Hague for what's going on right now. Thanks for listening to my input. I appreciate you all in all the countries throughout the world that listen to Felon File. Try to be safe. Try to be good. Do the right thing. Victoria, you've got the control panel back again. Hello. You have discovered the Felon File. Felonfile.com is a podcast exploration and discussion of law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Felon File is hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. The Shade of Blue Stories for Felon File Today. 1873. The California murder of a lady landowner by the holder of the property note. The killer turned himself in, thinking he could lie or buy his way out of trouble. The community had other ideas. Does one murder justify another? Was it murder? Or was it justice? Scott has the story so you can make your own decision.
the sponsor for today's episode of The Felon File is The Salty Heifer Home Store and More For consignments, layaways, antiques and home decor Located at 75 Roy Edwards Lane Mars Hill, North Carolina Contact Trish the owner at the Salty Heifer 75 at gmail.com Scott, we're recording Thank you, Victoria. Welcome back to another episode of Felon File, guys. We hope you are going to enjoy this story. And as Victoria said, we're a podcast that looks at true crime, real issues from history, from today, from yesterday, in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. And today we're going to go to beyond. We're going to the West Coast, to California, as a matter of fact. While doing research for this particular podcast, I came across a couple of newspaper articles. Started my investigation. One of them was the March 18th of 1873 Sacramento Daily Union newspaper. And that led me to... The San Francisco Bulletin of 1873 and a San Francisco Chronicle article from March of 1873 called The Woman Murderer. You can find copies of most of these articles like I did, some digital services, as well as some history websites that are out there. If you're like me, you like to read old newspapers. Now, this was titled in one of the newspaper articles as a brutal and cowardly murder. We start out with a family, the Nicholsons of San Francisco. They own some farmland near Watsonville in Monterey County, California. In 1873, it was not uncommon for Miss Sarah Nicholson to spend pretty much all of her time there on the farm, working on there while her husband traveled back and forth from San Francisco where he had a carriage business. Two years earlier, they had bought the land from a gentleman by the name of Matt Tarpey. And he was a wealthy landowner and pretty much a big man about town and in Monterey County politics. Tarpey was also a well-known bully, was considered desperado at some points was described as a brawling, profane, cowardly ruffian with few redeeming traits. That was according to the San Francisco Chronicle. He was caught once trying to rig an election by forging nationalization papers of immigrants. There we go with our history repeating itself. Twice Tarpey was accused of murder. In one case he was in one case he was able to use his political influence to have the charges dropped. In another, he ended up being acquitted after allegedly bribing most of the jurors on the court case. Now, Tarpey, always looking for an in on a way to make money, claimed that, that the Nicholsons were behind in their payments on the property he had sold them. And he wanted to foreclose. He wanted it back. 
But instead of going through the regular legal channels, he decided he was just going to take it. In March of 1873, Tarpey moved an old frame house from an adjacent property that he owned. Him and some other men picked it up and moved it over onto the Nicholson's land and situated it about a quarter mile from their farmhouse. He built a fence around the house and ended up renting it to a man named Peterson who had no clue about what was going on. Now, Miss Nicholson's husband was away in San Francisco when she learned of the new house on her property. So she rode into town like a civilized individual and consulted with a lawyer. Now the lawyer told her that since she held the deed, she could not be driven out without legal process. Now, if Tarpey moved a house onto her land, she had a right to take possession of it. So the next day, she went to the house with a young man named O'Neill and a young boy who both of them worked on the farm with her. When Peterson came up, he was kind of surprised to find that his house had been occupied or the house that he would thought he was renting. He demanded that they leave, but Miss Nicholson told him she was in possession of the house, he was the one that was trespassing, and if he had any issues, he should talk to Tarpey about it. So, that evening, Peterson went and located Tarpey and told him about what was going on. Tarpey was infuriated. He buckled on his pistol and his sidearm and grabbed his Henry repeating rifle and started for the house. Now on the way, he stopped and borrowed a double-barreled shotgun from a friend of his. He took up a position walking up to the house behind a big oak tree on his property, where he dug a hole where he could watch and observe the house without being seen. Now after midnight that night, he crept up closer to the house and fired six or seven rounds in quick succession into the house. The occupants of the house, house, which were the Nicholsons and their farmhands, Mrs. Nicholson and her farmhands, were, who were unarmed, shocked and scared the heck out of them, and they ran back to the Nicholson farmhouse. Not an unwise thing to do. The next morning after the sun came up, they decided they were going to go to the house and see what damage had been done. Then they planned on going to town and seeing law enforcement or the sheriff. As they approached the house on the roadway, Tarpey stepped out in the middle of the road, blocking their way and holding a shotgun. Miss Nicholson was startled, but apparently she was pretty cool. Apparently she was a pretty cool gal. She didn't panic. She simply said, good morning, Mr. Tarpey. And of course, Tarpey started out cursing and yelling and screaming her. Now you blinking blank, I've got you, said Tarpey as he raised the shotgun and pulled the trigger. Well, the gun clicked, but it didn't go off. So, still unfazed, she said, For God's sake, Mr. Tarpey, take the whole thing, but do not murder me, said Miss Nicholson. Tarpey aimed the gun again and clicked it again, pulling the hammers back. Terrified, she seized hold of her farmhand, O'Neill, and said, 
Let's go. Let's run. He's going to kill both of us. And as she turned to run, Tarpy fired again. And this time, the gun went off. Nine shots of buckshot penetrated her back. One went straight through her heart. Sarah Nicholson uttered a piercing scream and fell dead. O'Neill went to pick up the body and see what he could do. And the other farmhand, the young boy, shouted out, Look out! He's going to shoot you! So the boy and O'Neill ran. Tarpy fired again but missed. Tarpy turned to the boy and yelled out, Look out! I'm going to shoot you too! And of course that just increased the speed of the young man. and He took off running following the older farmhand. Now having walked out there, Tarpy he ended up having a course to walk back to Watsonville. And as he walked he thought and reflected on what he had done. So he decided the best thing to do was just turn himself in and claim that he had shot in self-defense or that the shot had been an accident, that there had been problems with the shotgun. Now Constable Schrade, who was law enforcement for the town, received the surrender from Tarpy good-manneredly. He was still afraid of him because Tarpy still had political contacts, but he didn't disarm him. Tarpy promised he would leave his weapons at his house in Watsonville, so they went there. Now when they got there, Tarpy changed his clothes, sat down and had breakfast, and after which went and strapped a revolver back on. He went into the street, swaggering about, leaving the constable in his living room, and explaining to friends or any, anyone he met just what the situation was. He even stopped at the barber shop and had a shave. Then he went back to his house and said he was ready to be taken to the county seat for prosecution, Salon City, which was the county seat, for the next steps in the incident. Now, as news of the shooting spread around the community, uh, Constable Shade was a little worried they might encounter some trouble on the road. So they took a wagon back to Tarpey's house and got his rifle before proceeding. So he's got a guy that he's going to take to court and he decides to arm him on his way. Of course, I'm not wearing those shoes that the constable was wearing, so it's difficult for me to say exactly what I would do. Uh, but I do think pretty surely I would not rearm the man that just shot a lady. Now, someone who had heard Tarpey's bragging and talking about the shooting while he was getting a shave and doing other errands about town, telephoned the news to, sheriff, to the sheriff where the two were headed, and the sheriff ran, rode out and met the wagon a few miles outside of town. Now, the sheriff took custody of Tarpey, of course, disarmed him and took him on into, into the city to place him in the jail. After arriving there, he decided that really and truly the jail was not strong enough to prevent a mob from breaking in or for Tarpey to break out. So he planned to take the 
prisoner to the next county for safekeeping. That would be the county of Monterey. The sheriff first allowed Tarpey to march around town, go into bar rooms, and tell his story. He even made a public speech from in front of the courthouse describing the deed, trying to convince the crowd that the shooting had been an accident entirely. Now, when Tarpey was safe in jail in Monterey, an inquest was held on the murders. Two witnesses, O'Neill and the boy, were brought in and they told what had happened that morning. That night, the whole population of Watsonville turned out for a public meeting to express sorrow for the victim and denounce the murderer. And you can probably figure where this is going from here. They came to the decision that they could not trust the legal system to handle it and decided to seek justice themselves and they proceeded to continue arguing about the issue when finally one old man stood up a gray-haired gentleman by the name of by the name of Slankard who had known Miss Nicholson for and her husband for many years and had good feelings towards her and her husband standing getting the attention of the crowd at the meeting he says gentlemen if you permit this murder to go unhanged 24 hours longer, you are all cowards. Unquote. After listening and nodding in agreement, pretty much the entire crowd agreed, and in small groups, so as not to overwhelm the sheriff, they sent off towards Monterey. And the farther they went, and the closer to Monterey they got, the more the crowds increased. The crowds coming from two counties between where the incident happened and where Tarpey was being held in jail, before too long they were 400 strong is what the estimate was. Walking up to the jail, a dozen or so of the men, they apologized to the sheriff and then they tied him hand and foot. That was decent of them, I guess. A group had brought some sledgehammers and they ended up breaking into Tarpey's cell. They carried him to a wagon that contained a pine box and a long hemp rope. And you probably know where they're going with this. They took Tarpey about three miles outside of town and gave him a half hour to arrange his worldly affairs prepare himself for death. Now in that crowd I find it interesting that there was actually a lawyer there and Tarpey was able to dictate a brief will to this lawyer. Well this of course is before TV and lawyers gotta get his clients however they can I guess. After dictating his will he then begged for his life. When the person in charge told him his time had come, Tarpey simply said, well, I'm ready, but you are committing a murder. The group threw the rope over the limb of a tree, tied a noose around Tarpey's neck. Then they had him stand on his own coffin that was in the back of the wagon, and then drove the wagon forward. Tarpey fell as the wagon moved, 
but the fall didn't break his neck. Apparently, the new hemp rope was so new that it stretched so much that Tarpy hit the ground with his toes touching the ground and by doing so he was able to keep himself upright and keep from strangling or the his neck from snapping. Of course, this didn't impress the crowd. Men from the mob grabbed the rope and pulled him up by force, letting him swing there for about 10 minutes. Reportedly, a couple of them shot Tarpy at close range as he slowly strangled to death. I guess they were tired of waiting for the rope to do its work. After Tarpy was dead, he was loaded into the pine box and put in the wagon and taken to the center of town and left there in the wagon and in his coffin. Now the authorities and the newspapers were all outraged. They vowed to arrest those responsible for this lynching. Papers printed editorials denouncing the vigilante justice. Some of the newspapers didn't denounce it, but thought it was a good thing. And the people of Monterey County, they were pretty much satisfied that, Sarah's Nich that Sarah Nicholson's murder had been justly avenged. Well, what do you think? Was this the right thing to do? Well, we do have a system of rules, laws, and the way things are supposed to be done. And we have reasons for following those rules. Hopefully so that an innocent man or an innocent person won't be unjustly convicted of a crime. And this mob apparently was judge, jury, and executioner all rolled into one. Now we see crimes on TV and in the news and the newspaper and media sources and we all have our opinions about them. They should do this to that person. Why they should do that to that person. And I am myself guilty of such, such statements as well as Victoria who has her special place in hell for those who take advantage of young children and the elderly. But this is our system, and until something better comes along, I guess we're going to use it. What do you guys think? You can drop me a line at felonfile at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Our stats are showing that our numbers are going up again in Australia. They've continued and added another point uh, difference between them and Great Britain. And, but Canada has moved up one notch on our count. So if you're in one of those countries, talk to your friends about listening. Let's build up the numbers from your country. And of course, and of course, we love our listeners in the United States as well, listening and giving us comments and giving us directions to look for new shades of blue stories. But that offer is open to everybody worldwide or universal wide as it were. If you like, you can contact Victoria and myself through uh, felonfile.com or you can go to scottlunsfordauthor.com where there are links to copies of my books, uh, fiction and nonfiction, through amazon.com as well as Barnes & Noble if you'd like to check them out. 
We'd love to have you read them and let us know what you think. You can also help us out by buying a coffee mug or a t-shirt or buying me and Victoria a cup of coffee to help waylay some of the expenses on some of the research we do. And we're putting together one of our Shades of Blue story for you guys to listen to. Well, that's the end of our podcast today. Again, tune in next Saturday, 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, USA, for another Shade of Blue story on felonfile.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear from you guys. And remember, if you get the opportunity, try to do something nice for somebody. Go out of your way and help somebody out. It's really the right thing to do. And if more people did it, maybe we wouldn't have as many trials and court cases as we have today. Help somebody out is really the right thing to do. All right, Victoria. I'm going to close this out. You've got the control board again in just a few seconds. Bye, y'all. You have been listening to The Felon File Podcast with your host Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast or Scott's books and writings go to scottlunsfordauthor.com and felonfile.com. Scott can also be contacted at these websites. Be sure to check out the stuff page on the website. Pick up a Felon File t-shirt or coffee mug. You can also support the Felon File podcast by buying us a coffee from the link on the website. This is Victoria your producer. Thank you for listening. 2. 1. End. Background track unspoken by MewSoundCloud.com. Mew Music promoted by Free. Stock Music.com Creative. Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. CreativeCommons.org. I almost forgot. If you would like to support the Felon File podcast, please go to buymeacoffee.com backslash felonfile. Here you can buy Scott a cup of coffee or help purchase some of the research material and expenses that it takes to do felon file. That's buymeacoffee.com backslash felon file. Once more thank you for listening. (laughs) 